Hello and welcome to this podcast from Le Monde Diplomatique. My name is George Miller, and each month I bring you an in-depth interview with one of the contributors to the current issue. I'm very pleased to say that my guest this month is James K. Galbraith, who holds a chair in Government Business Relations at the Lyndon B. Johnson School of Public Affairs at the University of Texas. He's the author of six books and several hundred scholarly articles and papers. His recent research has focused on the measurement and understanding of inequality in the world economy, a topic which is germane to his article in the June 2010 issue of Le Monde Diplomatique. The piece, entitled Europe Blackmailed, looks at what he calls the Europeanization of Mediterranean debt, forced on the EU by speculators, and what he predicts will be a vicious circle of budget-cutting, debt deflation and depression, in which the poorest, of course, stand to fare worst. I spoke to James Galbraith on the phone from Athens, and so naturally began by asking him for his take on the current Greek situation. I guess my view is that this is not a Greek crisis and not a problem that can be resolved by any action that's taken in Greece. Uh, we have a, a situation which which Greece is the is not the handle of the whip; it's the tail end of mm. the whip. The handle, the the crisis itself originates in the United States, and it's the same crisis that exploded there two years ago. Mm. Uh, it's uh, what, so what, what's been going on ever since has been a, a flight to safety, which uh, obviously the, the, uh, the exits get clogged first from the, uh, from the small countries and the countries which have vulnerabilities, which Greece, of course, certainly does. This is uh, a matter which, where, where one doesn't look for what, what is done here in Athens uh, as, uh, as in any sense offering the, the pros- prospects for a resolution that's going to have to come at the level of the, of the European decision makers. The larger orthodoxy which you are taking issue with in the article is the view that markets impose disciplines on states and that is a tough medicine which has to be swallowed but it, it simply has to be swallowed. Yeah, that's a you know, Victorian uh, fantasy, uh, maybe a dark Victorian fantasy. Mm. <laughs> the reality is that uh, there is the bond market closed. Uh, I mean, it, 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 technically speaking, it, it imposed spreads on on Greece and other countries which were unmeetable, effectively, and you couldn't, in good faith, issue a bond at those rates. And commentators can demand that Greece do this or Greece do that, Spain or Portugal do this or that, mm. but there is nothing that they can actually do that will that will bring those spreads down. The reason is simple: that that. that the the effect of the cuts, let's take the IMF program, will be so, to so reduce output and incomes and the tax base uh, that the deficits cannot be closed by these measures. So that there's there's you can you can the, the cuts are a sign of of the of the seriousness and good faith of the government and the government is working here very hard on uh, public administration reform, which is necessary. But uh, they will not have the desired effect on the final. Uh, you know, on the on the ex post budget deficit, and the and same, of course, will be true in Britain when when Cameron's cuts are made. And as as you say in your article, um, there is a credibility problem, isn't there? Because the tougher the the tougher the talk, the bigger the the credibility gap to be to be bridged. I want to be careful about whose credibility. There's an intrinsic mm. lack of plausibility associated with the austerity programs. It's not the credibility of the government. The government is going to implement some very tough programs and people are going to get hit very hard. It's just that the results will not yield the kind of uh, 
reassurance and 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 will not will not return the borrower to a state where where the bond markets will be will be willing to lend and that's again that's not anything having to do with what the borrower does or doesn't do it has to do with the worldwide state of the bond markets it's exactly analogous to the fact that greece cannot run balanced trade so long as germany is running a huge surplus or to the fact that uh, uh that the spreads here will not go uh, down until uh, people start crowding, stop crowding their funds into U.S. Treasuries, where the where the yields have, uh, where the spreads have, yields have been going down. How well or badly prepared would you say the EU as an institution is to deal? Well, this with is the issue. I think this is the crucial question. The European Union is it's essentially a, a customs union in the common currency area, and that is the model of a of a confederacy. Uh, and you know, frankly, we had confederacies in the United States twice. Mm. The first one failed in 1792. The second mm. one failed in 1865. Uh, then it's not a viable uh, economic model, and the EU is is discovering this at mm. the present time. It's it's not viable because it concentra- concentrates uh, income in the richer regions uh, mm. at the expense of the poorer ones, and leaves them in a state which is financially unsustainable after a certain period of time. And how sanguine are you about the EU's own ability to reform itself in ways which would make it better able to to deal with its predicament? That's a tough problem, but it's the problem that has to be addressed. Uh, it's not uh, in the United States from the end of the Civil War to the New Deal was seven decades. Mm. One hopes that they figure it out faster than that. But, I mean, because otherwise, what 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 prospects for the euro in in your view? Well, the the, the euro, it seems to me, is not really the issue. It would be extremely hard for any small country to exit from the euro, the, uh, because it would, you'd issue a replacement currency and no one would hold it. Very straightforward. It would, mm. it, you'd, you'd be in the Argentine situation in a very short period of time. Mm. But uh, the real threat here is that Europe will enter a kind of vicious circle of, uh, of recession and rising unemployment uh, and uh, a hardship, and that ultimately what will happen is that people will move. Uh, you will get all the all the old patterns of of hardship migration will reassert themselves. The rich countries will have a lot of um, new poor people that they'll have to deal with on their doorsteps because they weren't willing to deal with them at home. You argue for what you call a cutting down of the financial sector. What what are what are the levers that have to be pulled in in order for that to become a a realistic uh, objective? Well, auditing to begin mm. with. Mm. Uh, they're very straightforward. You you need to know what the real condition of the banks actually is. How leveraged are they, and how many of their assets are bad? How many losses? What the losses have they actually already taken? And then you need to have authorities which are prepared to deal with the problem of financial sector insolvency. This is something that we have failed to do in the United States. It's something that they failed to do in Japan, and both countries are paying a very heavy price for failing to deal with it. They did do it in Sweden in 1994, uh, and that produced a fairly rapid and successful turnaround in a pretty short period of time. So that's the essential thing is here is that you, you, you need to have, uh, everybody talks about transparency, but it's not being applied in the banking sector. That's a delicate problem because you have to be able to, to deal with people's anxieties and to allay them, which means you have to be prepared to insure deposits. But then you also have to have a, a, a clean and accurate auditing of the books. And maybe I can ask you in conclusion, you, you come down in the end to saying there is a choice between disastrous radicalism versus constructive radicalism and maybe you can just finally say what you think what constitutes those those two courses and their and their likely outcomes yeah david cameron's embarked on disastrous radicalism that's clear Uh, you know unless unless of course it turns out that the things he cuts are 
military. Uh, mm-hmm. you know, if trucking goes away, then that's you know mm-hmm. the matter. But uh, uh, but if it's social services, it's going to have it's going to hit people very hard and for no constructive purpose. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's not going to strengthen the British economy. Uh, it's not it's not going to close the budget deficit. It's not going to uh, relieve the interest burden that he's so afraid of. Uh, at the European context, constructive radicalism radicalism involves rethinking the structure of the system so that it has the uh, element of fiscal integration uh, and responsiveness and ability to deal with the with the functional collapse of the private credit system that it needs, and that's uh, you know, that that kind of thing has to be invented effectively but relatively quickly with an element that's public and an element that, that involves uh, reconstructing the private finan- the, the financial sector broadly so that you have credit flowing to purposes that pr- both provide employment and uh, meet the kinds of problems that we face, climate change, for example. James K. Galbraith. You can read his article in this month's edition of Le Monde Diplomatique, in print or online. On the website, subscribers will also find a wide range of content to explore, a complete archive of the paper, blogs, maps, and podcasts. Visit mondediplo.com to find out more. That's all for this edition of the podcast, but I hope you'll join me again next month for another in-depth interview with one of our contributors. Until then, thank you very much for listening, and goodbye.